Travels with Charlie is paid for by Jolly Convenience Stores, Mill Travel American Express, and Costello Waste. The views and opinions expressed in Travels with Charlie do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to WDEV at RadioVermont.com. Well, it's all about all the folks you meet. Sitting in a diner or out in the street. Catch up with the news. Get your point of view. I want to hear what unravels. I'll see you in my travel. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Travels with Charlie. Let me be the first to say, if uh, somebody hasn't already said it, but happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to all of our listeners out there. Uh, and also want to remind you that, you know, many food shelves are in need of donations this time of year. Hope that you can help out by donating food or money. And remember that hunger exists 365 days a year, not just around the holidays. Coming up on today's show, we're going to talk with the Vermont GOP's new chair, Paul Dame. He's going to be joining us. And we've got the Casella Waste Sustainability Spotlight coming up. But first, joining me in studio today, author Brett Ann Stanchew has written a book called Unstitched, My Journey to Understand Opioid Addiction and How People and Communities Can Heal one of the persons that she spoke with in her book was former U.S. Attorney Christina Nolan, and she'll be on with us in just a moment as well. Thank you both for joining me today. Brett Ann, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me here today. It's a pleasure. So, Brett Ann, if you could please tell us, your book is based on a true story of a stranger that kept breaking into the library where you worked, allegedly a heroin addict, uh, and he died by suicide. So thus began your quest I'll let you go from there. Right. So I guess I should say up front that Unstitched is a book that I originally didn't set out to write. I never really set out to write a book about addiction. At the time, I was a new librarian. I was working in a one-room library in a very isolated rural area in, in Woodbury. And when this man died, it all of a sudden really stopped me in my tracks and made me think really hard. There's a few instances maybe in someone's life where you just have that opportunity to really pause or you're forced to pause. And this was one of them, and it made me think long and hard about myself and my role in this situation. And so if I could just go on for a bit, because I'm a librarian, what I did after this a few months later was I hosted a forum in nearby Hardwick, and I invited in a bunch of people. I invited in staff from the Hardwick Health Center, the local police chief, people from EMS, and also a man who was in recovery. And I had them all sit at the table and talk. And more than anything else, what I realized is there's a lot more to this story than I had really realized. Mm -hmm. And what really kicked that off for me was the conversation between the man who was in recovery and the Hardwick police chief, Eric Cochran, because as the conversation unfolded, I realized Cochran had arrested this man. Yeah. And the two of them exchanged some kind of dialogue, and that, more than anything else, made me think, I need to know more about this. Brett Ann Stanchu is the author of Unstitched. Uh, by the way, she has uh, brought in a couple of copies of her book, Unstitched, and uh, we're going to give those away today. All you need to do is call 244-1777 or 1-877-291-8255. She'll sign those for you if you'd like. And if you don't want to come on the air with us, that's fine as well. Just tell Quorum that uh, you'd like a copy of the book. We have two to give away today, and uh, we will we will do that. And we'll make arrangements to, to get them to you if you can't come into the studio, whatever it is that we need to do, we'll certainly uh, we'll do the best that we can. Now, one of the persons that you spoke with in your book, Brett Ann, was uh, Christina Nolan, former U.S. Uh, attorney, and uh, she joins us on phone line this afternoon. Very busy person, Christina. I really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you for coming on Travels with Charlie. Well, hi, Charlie. Hi, Brett Ann. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. And I'm not too busy for you, and I doubt I'm any busier than anybody else. So <laughs> don't give me too much credit. <laughs> well, thank you, Christina. L let me ask you first, what's your reaction to the book? Sorry. Sorry, I had that trouble with my headphones oh. here for a second. My, re my reaction is I commend Brett Ann so much for this book. Um, I think it's 
a testament to how it takes all of us. Um, everybody who's coming into contact with a member of the public, whether you're a librarian, a teacher, um, addiction is everywhere, and we all have a role to play. And I love how she's spoken about how much it matters to treat people well and show compassion and understanding. And so I'm a huge fan of this book. I also um, like how she's talked about the fact that it's a hopeful message. Addiction uh, and, and these stories are hard to talk about. But at, at the end of the day, if we lose sight of hope, um, we're never going to make any headway. So I really appreciate that. Christina, what are your thoughts on what should be done uh, about the enormous opiate problem and what is being done? Is enough being done? So I think we had a major setback during COVID. Uh, and I can tell, I, I, I can tell that you that for certain from the tragic numbers. So from April of 2020 through April of 2021, there was, uh, there were over 100,000 opioid overdose deaths in the U.S. for the first time in a 12 month period. Um, so that's tragic news. But as a Vermonter, I'm even more sorry to say that there was a, Vermont had the largest percent increase in the, in the country by far yeah. of overdose deaths during that period of time. And it's a bit heartbreaking to me because in 2019, when I was U.S. attorney, um, uh, through a collaboration of treatment, um, prevention and enforcement, uh, we brought overdose deaths down in 2019 for the first time since 2014. So I, I think as the vaccine rolls out and we return to, uh, um, I don't want to say normal life, but maybe the new normal life as much as we can. And we double down again on our efforts um, to uh, hold those accountable who are profiting from addiction by selling these deadly drugs, get people into treatment and get a message to people who have never used like young people and others that it's not worth your entire life. It's not worth it. So I think that's what we need to do in broad strokes, Charlie. But we also need everybody, people like Brett and to um, get involved, to do what they can, because it really has got to be an all-hands-on-deck approach. Christina, you point out uh, the numbers, the latest numbers, which I just uh, read recently as well. Through August, the opioid deaths up in Vermont, I think it's about 47 percent, 129 deaths, and we had a three-year average of about 88. Do you attribute all of this to covid because the, because the deaths were coming down, they were down from 130, 130 in 2018 to 111 in, in 2019. I have to believe that COVID is a driving factor here. And I think it's pretty well documented that when people are isolated, yeah. they turn to substance use and they're more susceptible to substance use. And of course, when they're isolated and they're using, um, there's nobody on hand to administer Narcan if they, you know, if in the event of an overdose, uh, there's nobody on hand to help them call 911. Right. You know, and also during COVID, law enforcement dialed back on operations um, for better or for worse. Um, I think, you know, law enforcement are, are essential workers, but, you know, there wasn't as much happening in terms of enforcement. And then, of course, treatment providers, you know, our medically assisted treatment is so crucial, all forms of treatment, um, but, but certainly our medically assisted treatment um, system in Vermont is top-notch, but it went to remote treatment, and I'm sure a lot of people were lost in that transition. Right. Christina Nolan, my guest this afternoon, former U.S. attorney, uh, along with uh, Brett Ann Stanchu. She's the author of Unstitched. By the way, we've given away one copy of your book, Brett Ann. If anybody else would like another, uh, would like a copy, call in at 244-1777. That's uh, Serena Fox who uh, from Moncton, who just uh, got a book, and uh, we've got one for you if you'd like. one 291 8255 or if you care to just join us in conversation today. Brett, and, uh, your, your book points out that opioid addiction hits everyone, big, small communities. Would you say that most people don't think it's in their little community? I, I, would, I would think that that is a belief that it's, you know, I live in a little community and this just doesn't happen here. It's only big cities, but you point out otherwise. Oh, unfortunately, it is in all our communities, without a doubt. I think that there's an increasing awareness of that now, whether you want to see that or not. But the clearer and the harder that we really look at what's happening in our communities, the more likely we are to really be able to help with the scenario. Um, I'm also a member of the school board. I'm involved in local schools. It's endemic to all parts of our society. And the isolation that Christina was talking about, 
intensified during the pandemic on so many levels, right. but also made it much more, m much harder for people to reach out for help at that time. And so if there's one clear way forward, it's to ameliorate some of that isolation. And so when you're in your little community, be more aware of people around you. Be more willing to listen to other people. We have a call coming in. Uh, let's go to uh, Fred in Moncton Ridge. Good afternoon, Fred. You're on Travels with Charlie. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. I uh, was with a group of friends today. They told me that they'd seen something on the television, and I thought it was local, about uh, marijuana with fentanyl on it. Now, why would somebody take a, a real good painkiller that doctors use, fentanyl, and spray it on marijuana? Boy, that's... I, 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 you know, you'd be ruining the marijuana, and I don't see any... You'd have to charge $1,000 for a joint of the stuff. So is that really, that's not really happening, is it? Uh, I, is marijuana I, being laced with fentanyl? I would hope not, Christina. Is that anything that you're aware of? That's new uh, to me. Uh, no, tragically, I have heard about this. Um, I don't think it's, it's I, hopefully it doesn't become a, a more widespread problem, but this is not, uh, this, this rumor is true. Um, it's uh, a monstrous thing to do. I think it's um, being done by people who are trying to expand their customer base, um, so expand the number of opioid addicts who come back and, and buy their um, illicit fentanyl or heroin or, or oxycodone, whatever they're selling. Yeah. And so it, it, it's being uh, – what they're hoping is uh, people who use marijuana or are addicted to marijuana, um, you know, will then become addicted to uh, fentanyl or other opioids. And unfortunately, uh, even uh, this is even more prevalent when it comes to cocaine and methamphetamine. Um, I'm not over talking the years about that. I'm, talk we've seen I'm talking about fentanyl. I'm not talking about I'm cocaine or uh, the other adulterants. I'm talking about fentanyl. No, it's a wonderful painkiller for I, hospitals to use. Well, the fentanyl I mean, fentanyl's is coming been into the country. A long time. Yeah, it's coming into the country illicitly from Mexico, and it's being laced in other drugs that are less deadly, like cocaine. Less less often, but sometimes I have heard about marijuana as well. And it's the and fentanyl. So it's the fentanyl that kills, right, Christina? Yes. It's the, it's the fentanyl mean, that kills. Cocaine and 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 other drugs can kill as well, but the fentanyl, they, people don't know what they're getting. They think they're getting cocaine, right. and they're actually getting something much more lethal. Yes, right. fentanyl is overwhelmingly responsible for overdose deaths. Fred, do you have it's any other comments? Expensive. Isn't it crazy expensive to make in China and to get it here? I mean, to get all the, the processes down and then finally get it into some drug? Isn't it crazy expensive? No, they, uh, the dealers, the manufacturers have become very adept at doing it. Um, and one, once it gets to a place like Vermont, the price has gone up so uh, so much as it, as it moves along the supply chain. Um, when it gets to the end users, the profit margin is huge. And, and that's, that's why... Uh, Vermont has one of the reasons Vermont has such a problem. I don't buy into the thing that, uh, that that we have a problem with people spraying marijuana in Vermont. You know, it goes against who we are here, and we have now legalized marijuana here. But it sounds like if people just don't want us to smoke pot, maybe. Well, I, I think it's. I don't think that this is a widespread problem, and I don't want to overstate it. I'm just saying I have heard of this before. Fred, thanks for your call today. We do appreciate it. Thank you for listening here on uh, Travels with Charlie. Uh, Brett Ann Sanchu, the author of Unstitched. Uh, Brett, do you have some further comments? Yeah, one thing I'd like to mention is in writing this book, one thing I really realized as I interviewed a number of people who struggle with addiction is that these substances are incredibly intoxicating and incredibly addictive. It is really hard to kick an addiction of opioids. It really can't be underestimated. I spoke to people who had gone to rehab who had tried over and over for years to get rid of this addiction. So it's not as though it's a simple thing of either use it or don't use it. That really can't be underestimated. Brad Ann, you also spoke, you mentioned, uh, and in your book, uh, you spoke with members of law enforcement. Uh, the police chief that you spoke with, uh, for instance, yeah. what was his perspective? You, you, you talked with people in recovery, and then you talked with somebody in enforcement. Yeah. Did you see any common ground between the two people? 
The two I, groups? The, the, I definitely saw common ground. The common ground was real care and concern for the community. Um, Cochran's main metaphor that was I thought was terrific was he described people who were in the throes of addiction as being what he called in the zombie apocalypse. And he apologized a little for this, what sounds like an odd metaphor, but it's really extremely apt because when you, when you do descend to that level of addiction, you really lose all sense of rationality, really, and then you're consumed by that addiction. It's a really unfortunate situation to be in. By the way, we've just uh, given away the second uh, copy of uh, of the book uh, this afternoon. Uh, thanks to Karen Safford for calling in. Uh, you can still call in if you have a question or a comment, like Fred did just a moment ago. Two four four seventeen seventy seven one eight seven seven two nine one eight two five five. That's the toll free number. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with author of Unstitched, Brett Ann Stanchu, and former U.S. Attorney Christina Nolan, right here on Travels with Charlie, WDE. The waste and resource management industry is a complex, integrated system that many people and communities take for granted. Trash, recycling, compost, we're all familiar with the terms, but maybe not the truths behind the waste industry. Want to learn more? Beyond the Bin is a podcast by Casella, which shines a light on what really happens to our waste and recycling. If you're interested in environmental sustainability and renewable resources, then check out this podcast. You'll learn about waste and recycling, meet members of the Casella team, and one episode even deals with beekeeping. Check it out online at www.casella.com forward slash beyond the bin. I forgot to tell you, Brett Ann. Quorum tries to stump me with with bumper music. You gotta bring it up a little bit. Okay, that's an easy one. Do you want it as John Cougar Mellencamp or just John Mellencamp? And and Brett Ann knew it as well as well as as well as Christina on the phone line with me uh, today. Thanks for joining us here on Travels with Charlie. Christina Nolan, uh, U.S. Uh, attorney, a former U.S. attorney, joining us on phone line along with Brett Ann Stanchu, the author of Unstitched. We're talking about uh, the opioid epidemic, not only in Vermont but also nationally. Thank you for uh, j- both joining me today, and Christina. Thank you for joining us on phone line. Christina, let's talk a little bit about um, the opioid settlement agreement. Uh, looks like, you know, Vermont could see millions coming in. How will this help and how can the money be used? Because we all know that there are always in, you know, restrictions involved, like, you know, federal government or, or in settlements, you, you get the money, but well, you can't use it for this. So you can't use it for that. What are your thoughts on how that's going to work out for us? Yeah, I think, you know, um, I think that the, the monies will go toward um, stemming uh, the addiction crisis, um, the substance use uh, uh, crisis, um, and uh, I think it could go to any number of, of uh, recovery efforts, um, prevention efforts. Of, um, I'm very big on uh, the need to, to educate and get to people, uh, get to young people. Um, so I think it could go. I think it could be used any number of ways here in the state. We have so many um, wonderful treatment centers. Uh, 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 prevention groups. Um, so I think, uh, it, of course, our medically, our spoke system, our medically assisted um, treatment system um, can see funding. One of the big challenges when it comes to getting people into treatment in a rural state is transportation. So I would love to see uh, people think about whether there are ways um, that we can uh, help pe- people get to these um, treatment centers, which are in every county, but that doesn't mean they're right around the corner, and not everybody has easy access to transportation. So um, the details, I think, will, will be forthcoming, but and, and a lot of it will be up to our elected officials, um, you know, how to use the money and exactly how much we're going to get, but it is good to have some money coming in. Christina, you were uh, involved in the opening of a recovery center in central Vermont uh, in just last year. Can you tell us a little a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, I partnered with uh, Greg and Don Petro, uh, who uh, opened a nonprofit uh, called Jenna's Promise in the wake of the tragic opioid overdose death of their daughter, Jenna. Uh, And I also partnered with uh, treatment groups and with law enforcement. Um, Sheriff Roger Marcoux up in Lamoille County was um, integrally involved in this. And um, it's the first of its kind in the country. It's a Recovery home for women who have suffered trauma, including addiction, but also, you know, physical trauma, such as violence, human trafficking. And it's a long-term 
recovery home with critically wraparound services. So education, vocational training, um, obviously mental health counseling, addiction counseling. Um, and so it, it's something I'm very proud to have been involved in. I credit all of those who work so hard to make it happen. And it's really an example of how each discipline, law enforcement, treatment, prevention, we need to come together, understand what work together, support one another. We all share the same goal, which is to have nobody, as few people um, fall prey to addiction um, and, and the ruining of their lives as possible. And also to trauma is so, as Brett Ann has talked about, trauma is so integrally, integrally related to addiction that um, we need to look at uh, getting assistance to those who have suffered um, horrible trauma as well. Let me give a, a quick uh, programming note here. If you go to uh, wdevradio.com, one of the videos that we did in our travel series, Travels with Charlie, was at Jenna's Promise. And uh, I spoke with uh, Greg Tatro. It's a wonderful uh, uh, recovery center that they have built. And you talk about uh, you know pe- giving people jobs, They working on a, a coffee shop in, uh, uh, in downtown Johnson. So a, a wonderful job. And, and, and thank you for helping out on that, Christina. Uh, Brett, Ann, let's get back to you. Let me just ask you, what do you hope that people will come away with after reading your book? That's a really interesting question, and I think it's very much related to the Tatros. So Jenna's promise that Christina Nolan just spoke about, their their central location is in a church that I visited, right. and I wrote about it at the end of my book, Unstitched. And when I visited, it was really almost empty. They had recently bought it, and it was kind of filled with dust. There was I, I looked at it, and I thought, oh, my goodness, there's such vision here. We'll see if, in fact, it comes true. But it did come true. But the other motif that fits into that at the beginning of my book is there's a church in Woodbury that I described that's pretty much empty and it's pretty much isolated. And when I look at these two images of the church, regardless of whether you're religious or not religious, there are images, I think, for community in Vermont, and it can go either way. It can be, as Christina and I have talked about, it can be isolating and empty, or it can come together with the best of what Vermont has to offer. And that's really possible. That does happen. And that's what I'd like to have carry forward from my book. Christina, maybe not fair to ask you a question like this uh, with uh, just a a few minutes left, but uh, your thoughts on safe injection sites. You know, this has come up uh, multiple times, especially in the city of Burlington. Uh, And uh, I, I I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, so I'm going to answer by circling back to hope. And I think that um, the Tatros, as Fred Ann just described, and how they built something so positive out of a a tragedy that is unimaginable to us, um, to most of us, um, to anybody uh, losing their daughter that way. So I think we've got to cling to hope. And I think that um, uh, opening injection facilities for people to inject Fentanyl, heroin, methamphetamine, cocaine, these are all ingested in these injection facilities, is really giving up and giving in to cynicism. And, you know, I've looked at the studies. They don't get people into treatment. They're not effective at that. And they don't, they are a place where essentially you go to deepen your addiction, but people don't use them for all of their injections. Um, so what I think, and I do think they undermine our treatment and prevention efforts. So, to the extent we are doing a good job of getting to, to getting to people to, with a message of prevention, getting them into treatment, I think this would undermine that message by giving them a place to use it. Um, not to mention it would attract dealers to the area. Um, you have people who just stay in for 10 minutes after an injection, and then they're out out in a car or out on a out in the street. And so, I do think it's uh, I think we it's not it's not a hopeful approach. I think we need to stick to, to hope and optimism and a belief we can make a difference, but not give in. I think it'd be kind of like setting up a bar for alcoholics to take shots and pumping their stomachs if Boy, they overdose. And that, that, I, I think we can do better. We must that, do better. That's a great analogy. Thank you for uh, for answering that question, Christina. L- let me just ask you uh, quickly before we break. Uh, you're settling back into into private life now. Could you kind of give us a quick synopsis of Serving as a U.S. attorney, what a what an honor, what a thrill that that must have been for you. 
It was an incredible honor. I worked in the office for seven and a half years as a, as a prosecutor before I took the job. It was the honor of a lifetime, a job of a lifetime. It was just so wonderful. I'm born and raised in Vermont, and it was such a wonderful opportunity to serve the state I love, of course, the country I love, enforcing the laws of the United States. Um, but I also love that I got to meet, meet people like Brett Ann, who reached out and, and just cared and wanted to come un- talk and learn and Again, I'll, I'll say, and it, 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 I'll use the word hope again, it, after all of those conversations and to this day, I continue to be very hopeful because of the spirit of Vermonters and their desire to help and their compassion. So, um, but yes, I couldn't, have, I couldn't have loved the job more. I want to thank you both for joining me today on Travels with Charlie. Christina Nolan, along with Brett Ann Stanchu. Brett, uh, you're, this is not your first book. You also wrote a novel, but this is, this is based on real life, this one. Right, this one is. So my first novel I published in 2015, and that was it, it had many similar issues as well. There, was, there were addiction issues in it, and it was set in a very rural area of Vermont, too, so it was set on a farm. So that issue that we've gone back to several times in regard to isolation, addiction doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? It happens for reasons in our lives. I think that's important to note that um, that there's there's reasons for addiction. The person that committed suicide that you write about in your book, do you know anything about his family? I know you changed names to protect uh, the innocent, but do you know anything about his family, anything about his background? I do. Um, Although I, I, I guess I'd probably prefer not to say. I think the person who made the most influence on me was one of the first women I interviewed. She appears in the book, and her name is Shauna Shepard. And her childhood to me was just almost unimaginably difficult. And yet, through a very challenging life, I mean, numerous losses, numerous struggles that she had, everything across the map, She's now doing really well in her life. She's a medical assistant. And in regard to hope, she's given back phenomenally to her community. That's great news. So it's not just that she's gotten herself out of addiction, but that she's turned her world and her circle of influence around as well, too. Brett Ann, good luck uh, with the book. It just came out. It's available on Amazon and bookstores, of course, published by Steerforth. And if you would like more information about uh, Brett's uh, um, previous book, as well as this one, Unstitched, you can go to her website, stonysoilvermont.com. Spell out Vermont, stonysoilvermont.com. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Christina, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family as well. It's uh, great to talk with you today. Thank you for joining me on Travels with Charlie. Thank you both. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming, Christina. All right. Coming up next, the Casella Waste Sustainability Spotlight. And later on this morning, Vermont's new GOP chair, Paul Dame, joins us right here on Travels with Charlie, WDEV. And Corm continues to try to stump me with uh, Stump the Band here on Travels with Charlie. That's the fifth dimension. We got it. By the way, coming up next week on Travel, or my next show, I should say, on Travels with Charlie, one of my guests will be the guy behind the glass, Steve Cormier, Corm, better known as Corm in his radio uh, life, who is being inducted into the Vermont Association of Broadcasters Hall of Fame. He's shaking his head. He can't believe it. Uh, we're going to talk with him on the next show. But right now, it's time for the Casella Waste Sustainability Spotlight with Jeff Weld. He's the Director of Community Engagement. And we're going to be talking about a very important issue today, seasonal recycling tips. Jeff, thank you for joining me on Travels with Charlie. Thanks for having me, Charlie. If I if I'd have known that that I was being called in by a Hall of Famer, I'd have uh, addressed him as such. So congratulations, Corm. <laughs> well, around here he's just Corm, so don't uh, don't get carried away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, one of the things that this is a very important topic because uh, you know recycling tips, and you go well seasonal. Well, shouldn't it be the same you know year round? Well, well, there are certain things that come up this time of year, like boxes, uh, packaging, you know, Amazon's going to be, you know, they send stuff every day, but it's going to be, you know, even, uh, you know, it's going to be on steroids now. And you got bubble wrap and you got peanuts that come in some of these things. And most people think you just put that in the recycle bin, but am I wrong? 
Yeah, it's it's one of those things that we have to deal with um, this time of year, Charlie, and and we like to call a little attention uh, to it and appreciate the opportunity to do so here. And it's really about uh, the old adage, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle. Um, just being thoughtful around the holiday time is, you know, even when we're thinking about preparing meals, right? We can reduce what we buy, only buying what we eat. Um, you know, not using disposable dishes, things like that can help cut down on your waste stream. And then, you know, thinking about, uh, to your earlier point, gift giving, right? How do we, how do we reduce what we buy there? Can we, can we give experiential gifts instead of the latest, uh, tchotchke or this and that that'll, that'll wear out over time? Yeah. You know, buying local cuts down on that kind of packaging. Right. And then, you know, thinking about reuse, well, what are we wrapping our gifts in? Newspaper, paper bags, or preferable. Um, but if all of that goes away, you know, if, if we get to that last part, what are we recycling? And, and we really want to be able to recycle better. So, you know, making sure it's only recyclable material that's going in the bin and everything else is, is going in the trash is, is a huge help. Well, some of the things that, you know, you don't want to put in that recycle bin that you may, you know, find on Christmas Day is like ribbons and bows. You don't want that in the recycle bin. Am I correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, ribbons, bows, you know, a lot of people are using, you know, uh, yarn or string, things like that. That goes, that'll get in the machinery, create tangles. Um, somebody's got to go in the machine and, and, and cut it out, and, and it's it's pretty dangerous to do. So, Feel, feel free to throw that right in the trash, keep it out of the recycling, and, and keep everybody safe. Now, what about the big tree? And I'm talking real trees. Not, you know, that's a whole, that's a debate for another day, whether you have a, a, you know, an artificial or, or a real tree, but you don't take real trees, right? Yeah, don't throw, we don't want your real tree to, to go in the landfill. There's better places to go in the landfill, uh, than to go in the landfill. Actually, here in Vermont, if you have the luxury of a nice backyard, it's great to put it out there um, in the backyard and let the let the birds and squirrels and things have at it for the winter. But um, you know, most places uh, in Vermont, I know here in Rutland, the Boy Scouts do a nice job of coming around and picking them up as a fundraiser. They take them to the transfer center where they're um, uh, ground up, chipped, and and used as mulch and things like that. So there's definitely better places to do it. That's right. Have them end up in the landfill. For all sure. right. What about those string lights? You know, and, and we're, we all find them. It's like even if you have LED lights, something happens to them when you put them away and when you plug them in around Christmas time because for some reason they don't work. Something happened to them. <laughs> what do you do with them, Jeff? Do you do you put those in the recycle bin? Yeah. Again, it's going to be a tangler. Certainly not a recyclable item. You might want to check with your local municipality or your your local uh, um, uh, waste hauler to see if it's something that you can put in the trash. But more than likely, it's going to go into your uh, your um, household hazardous waste day at, at your transfer station. It's the best place to, to take those. Right. Put and them as, in the box, set them aside, take them to the transfer station. And, and as you point out, you can find out more information at casella.com forward slash seasonal recycling tips. Uh, a great uh, term, when in doubt, Throw it out. Absolutely. All right. Uh, there's also some great ideas for gift ideas. You wouldn't think about it, but, you know, maybe a compost bin for somebody or reusable shopping bags or a green home cleaning kit. Again, you can find out more information at casella.com forward slash seasonal recycling tips. The Director of Community Engagement for Casella Waste on the Casella Waste Sustainability Spotlight, Jeff Weld. Jeff Happy Thanksgiving, and thank you for joining us today on Travels with Charlie. Thanks for having me, Charlie. Happy Thanksgiving. All right. Coming up next, Vermont GOP Chair Paul Dame joins us right here on Travels with Charlie, WDEV. Whether you're traveling for a vacation, planning a business trip, or have a global company looking for a strong Vermont-based company to align with for business and meeting management, Milne Travel is a trusted local partner, and they've been one since 1975. Milne Travel is one of the top travel companies based in New England, featuring educational tours, vacation travel, or corporate solutions, let their travel specialists search the lowest airfares exclusive to the travel industry for you. Guaranteed. We're all getting ready to travel again. Save time and money on your next trip. Go to www.millentravel.com. 
They went all the way to the end of the alphabet for this one. <laughs> Stump the band with with Corm at ZZ Top. Very, very easy. Welcome back. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, today on Travels with Charlie. Uh, a quick shout-out to the sponsors of this program, because it would not happen without uh, the sponsorship and the support of Jolly Convenience Stores, you know, hot coffee, sandwiches, uh, you know, fuel, and your daily smile at over 40 locations in Vermont. My friends at Jolly Convenience Stores, that's where I stop when I'm on the road and I'm hungry or I need to fill up. And, of course, Casella Waste Systems, casella.com. It's zero-sort recycling, uh, reliable service, competitive pricing. Check it out uh, at casella.com. And, of course, Mill Travel American Express. They've been doing it since 1975. If you're planning a trip coming up soon, go to that website, milntravel.com. Vacation travel, corporate or even educational. Best business by Vermont Business Magazine, Reader Poll. All right, my next guest this afternoon on Travels with Charlie, a, a good friend of uh, of my previous program, as well as a friend. He's also uh, included in one of the videos that we've done on Travels with Charlie, and that's available at WDEVradio.com, where we discussed mail-in voting. The new party chair for Vermont's GOP, Paul Dame. Paul, good afternoon. Welcome to Travels with Charlie. Good to talk with you again. Hey, Charlie. It's good to talk to you again, too. It's, uh, it's been a while, and uh, you've done a lot of awesome things since the last time I, uh, I saw you, and glad to be part of your, uh, your new program here. Well, thank you very much, and, and certainly you're a busy guy. Uh, you know, today we've got the legislature meeting with, uh, you know, a possible mask mandate. Uh, can you give us an update to what's going on in Montpelier today? Uh, yeah, it looks like the uh, the Senate just voted uh, 17-10 in favor of giving – uh, local municipalities uh, the ability to enforce a mask mandate. Um, it just went to the House, um, and uh, it sounds like there might be, uh, an, just before I stepped out, there might be an error in the bill, uh, so that might slow some things down here. Uh, so the House hasn't voted on it yet, but that's probably going to be happening uh, within the hour or so. So breaking breaking news on your show. Yeah. So so to be clear, that would go to uh, individual towns, municipalities. They would have to decide that. Yeah, if, and it's uh, interesting as I talked to uh, the Republicans uh, down there. Uh, pretty much everyone I spoke to had called their individual uh, municipalities, and uh, everyone that I spoke to today so far said their municipalities were not interested in in getting involved in uh, in that kind of a fight because. Uh, each municipality is going to have to decide if, if they want to do it, and that may make them less competitive uh, than, um, than some of the other municipalities in the surrounding areas because right. about where they're going to be shopping, uh, getting ready for, for Christmas here. So, well, As a member of uh, Colchester's select board, it uh, looks like something that's going to be coming up on the agenda very shortly. <laughs> it very well could be. <laughs> uh, Paul Dame, my guest this afternoon on Travels with Charlie, Vermont's uh, new GOP chair. If you have a question or comment and you'd like to join us here on Travels with Charlie, very simple, 244-1777, toll free at 1-877-291-8255. Paul, when I spoke with you uh, previously, I, I stated that you really hit the ground running when elected by deciding to hold a Let's Go Brandon rally in your hometown of Brandon. And that slogan has come to mean dissatisfaction with President Biden. But you decided to capitalize on it in a tongue-in-cheek kind of way. Now that the rally has already happened, would you say that it was a success? I think it was a fantastic success. You know, part of what I was trying to do, um, and I think we were successful at, is take something that's been very negative and, and national and put it into a more positive uh, direction uh, and and with a local focus. So you know we went. We had. I was initially thinking if we had 30 people show up, that'd be a success. Uh, we counted uh, over 180 uh, about an hour before we started. So by the time we got done, there were there were 200 pe- people showed up after I was done speaking. So we had 200 people on the green there in Brandon and uh, the place I went to eat, uh, Cafe Provence. Uh, was uh, um, we had eight other tables I saw uh, folks from the rally, and I've been hearing anecdotal stories afterwards that everybody did exactly what we were trying to do, support my hometown of Brandon, going out to eat. Uh, There's a lot of great art shops there, um, and, uh, and we had a, I think we had a really positive impact. 
Well, apparently somebody's taking notes because, and I'm sure you're very well aware, where, or, or, or maybe you spoke with uh, Governor DeSantis from Florida. There is a, a Brandon, Florida, which he chose to have uh, uh, an event as well. He capitalized on it. Um, yours came first. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, I was doing another promotion for our event, uh, and somebody asked me, hey, you know, are, are we going to have these things all over the country? And I said, well, you know, I haven't got my map out. I do know that there's a Brandon in Florida, and here we are a week later. Uh, maybe Governor uh, DeSantis uh, heard that uh, that radio show and um, decided to, to repeat the um, – uh, you, you know, get some more mileage out of that uh, that joke. So you, you've tried to turn it into a pos- positive message, uh, and – uh, you know, one of the things that uh, that you wanted to do was was to um, support the food shelf in Brandon. Now, maybe this has changed since I read about it in the news that the Brandon food shelf said that they didn't want any money or any donations that came from this event. Has that changed, Paul? Uh, so so uh, that, that's uh, that's the the most recent uh, information there. Um, there's uh, we've we've got another uh, charity in the area that we've uh, that we've selected uh, that we'll just be sending the funds to not you know uh, more discreetly, and uh, you know because the goal is just to help people in Brandon. So we got another charity in Brandon serving the people of Brandon, uh, and well once you know I have more information to give, we'll be giving an update. Uh, on our on our state party website uh, with uh, with the results on that, but we're, we're you know we're not trying to be um, contentious. We're trying to actually do some good here, and um, so I think we're gonna we're still gonna accomplish that, but just maybe in a little different way than I had initially uh, planned on. GOP party chair Paul Dane, my guest this afternoon on Travels with Charlie. Questions or comments two four four seventeen seventy seven or toll free at one eight seven seven two nine one eight two five five. You know, in some ways, uh, Paul, I feel bad for anybody that has a child named Brandon who plays sports. Um, you know, how do you how do you go to an event and you know go, go Brandon go? You, you kind of have to change it a little bit. And in some ways, you know, I'll, I'll throw my opinion in here, and, I, and I'd love to hear yours as well you know our listeners uh your thoughts on this um because is is it is it mean-spirited or is it simply you know a tongue-in-cheek and capitalizing on it and and you know honestly paul if you'd held this rally in someplace else and didn't bring up the let's go brandon and you know it probably would have gotten very little press Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's true and i think that's one of the things that uh you know, I'm, I'm trying to do is is use some of these opportunities to uh, you know to, to do some good, um, and words have the meaning that we give to them. And so part of what I was trying to do is give a new meaning to those words when it has a more positive and a more local kind of a focus. Sure, and you know not to point fingers here, but uh, there were multiple times during uh, President Trump's uh, administration where whether it was a you know a, a, an awards program or uh, you know somebody you know from from Hollywood, typically Hollywood elite that would I can you know, even mention uh, you know Robert De Niro and I certainly can't say mm-hmm. what he said and it certainly alluded to you know to to let's go Brandon the same thing and you didn't hear a lot of you know pushback from from the left in the, in that area. No, that's true, and I think that's one of the reasons that the let's go Brandon thing caught on because it was a. A, a more polite, a more civil way to express your your discontent with with the president, and it was trying to move out of the very uh, negative and and volatile, almost violent uh, kind of conversations that we were having in the public sphere under the previous president. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of like you know, once there's a lot of people who can't get that image of a uh, decap- bloody, decapitated uh, president out of out of their mind. That was and, Kathy, uh, comedian, and I use that term loosely, comedian, Kathy Griffith, who I think has got booted off CNN. She did some terrible yeah. things for her New Year's Eve celebrations. They don't even want her back. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, going from that to saying, let's go, Brandon, um, you know, is, is moving in the right direction. I understand it's not where uh, everybody wants to be, but we got to – my goal is to, to move the conversation in a more positive direction. If anybody actually listens to – the, uh, the video that I put out, uh, so you can find on the state party website. You'll hear that, that we were talking about sort of the positive changes that that we want to make there. And there's, um, uh, I, you know, I got some some 
mail of people who were uh, unhappy sort of before the event started, and I sent that to them afterwards. And I had a handful of people say, hey, you know, uh, I realize maybe I reacted a little bit too strongly, and, and my reaction was uh, was was kind of the, the sort of thing that I'm, I'm worried about. So there's a, a few people who realized that, you know, maybe I was being a little bit too harsh, a little bit too reactionary. And when they heard some of the good things that, that Vermont Republicans are, are trying to do for the people of Vermont, uh, they they appreciated the uh, the effort. Well, something's happening nationally, Paul. Paul Dame, uh, the new GOP party chair here in Vermont. Uh, let's take a look at the, President Biden's latest poll numbers. I mean, they, they continue to sink every day. Yeah, I, I think people, uh, you know, Americans maybe, you know, were, were a little bit uh, tired or exasperated under uh, under the previous president, and, and they wanted something different, and uh, and they got something different. And I think there may be a little bit of virus remorse. I actually talked to somebody after the um, the Let's Go Brandon rally and uh, who had driven from Saratoga Springs, and they were thinking, hey, we're going to do a, a weekend getaway. Uh, they heard about the event. They said, oh, let's go to Brandon. So they came, they ate dinner, they spent the night there. But this person I had talked to said, I've always voted straight Democrat. I did that. I voted for Joe Biden in 2020, and it's not working out the way I had hoped it had. Yeah. So I think there's people realizing that that the, the day-to-day life, especially of working-class Vermonters, is not better under this president. And uh, and that's why I think we may see uh, a lot of opportunities for Republicans, uh, even here in Vermont. We saw some of the momentum uh, in places that were thought to be democratically dominated, like Virginia and New Jersey, same thing can happen here. Yeah, and I'm glad that you brought that up, Paul, uh, because, you know, the Virginia Virginia governor's race, uh, that could be uh, an indication of dissatisfied Democrats. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. That governor's race went to a Republican, and yet you had former, former President uh, Obama, uh, along with Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, and Vice President uh, Kamala Harris campaigning there. And it didn't help at all. No, and I think it proves that the national Democrats are not a successful brand. You know, you, you, they brought those other folks in where the Republicans in Virginia, uh, they didn't they didn't run on Trump. Uh, they ran on local issues that, that, that said, we believe the parents of, you know, uh, the, the, the Virginians here that are our parents – have a right to decide, make major decisions regarding their their children's school, and and I think that's uh, I just put out another video on our YouTube. That's sort of the the Republican uh, position as well. We we trust the people, and we want to put as much power back into the hands of people and not in the hands of of government, where it's kind of a one size fits all thing, and that's not what's best for everybody. But Paul, you you have a tough job, and and certainly I don't I don't you don't need me to point that out to to you with what's going on in national politics and in a state that may support Republicans but do not support Donald Trump, and we see this all the time, where uh, even in a local election. If you're a Republican, they try to paint you as, you know, a Trumpster. So you have to, you have to, you know, work to kind of separate that, do you not? Oh, absolutely. I, I think that was a major factor in my own uh, reelection. You know, I, I was in the House. I got elected in 2014, and my first reelection was in 2016. And I know I talked to people who were very friendly to me when I ran the first time. Uh, who came back when I was running in 2016 said, I'm sorry, I just can't vote for any Republican uh, because you're a presidential candidate. So that was definitely something that uh, that a lot of Republicans had to work against. And we just saw the results uh, in, uh, in in the Vermont House. We lost Republican seats um, while while Trump was uh, was president. So I think when we when the party focuses on personalities, we lose. When we focus on our policies, we win. And I think that, you know, Virginia made that shift successfully. And that's part of what I'm trying to do at the state party level as well. Get that focus back on the policies and away from personalities that can be divisive. Just got a few minutes left here on Travels with Charlie. A Paul Dame, my guest this afternoon, GOP party chair in Vermont. Uh, Senator Pat Leahy's announcement last week. Uh, Welch today announced that he is running for that seat. So that's going to change some of the uh, dynamic. But, uh, man, there's going to be a scramble for the House, and there's some opportunities there for, for a Republican to get in. You, you got your work cut out for you. Give us a, a little uh, uh, foresight as to what's going to be happening here shortly. Yeah, it's been a very busy two weeks, uh, first two weeks on the job here. <laughs> um, yeah, I think what's been interesting is that Pat, uh, Senator Leahy, 
um, said, you know, it's time for the next generation um, uh, to come in. And I, I don't know how Peter, how old Peter Welch is, but he doesn't seem like he's that far of a, a, a new generation. Um, you know, there's a lot of Republicans that are serving in the House or the Senate right now. We've got a lot of young people. Uh, I mean, Cory Parent, Senator uh, up from Franklin, uh, the Franklin District, Casey Toop and St. Albans, even Felicia Leffler's got a couple uh, House reps. And they're all, you know, under 30, 35. Um, so that would represent kind of a new generation. Yeah, I think I think um, Welch, um, I think Welch would be the same age as um, Senator Leahy after his first term, if he is elected, if I'm not mistaken. So you uh, know, I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this whole point about uh, getting you know youth involved, and that's really that that's where it it becomes very difficult when you talk about youth. Typically. I don't know. You just take a poll, walk around on a college campus today and and ask, uh, you know, which way people are leaning. And typically it, it's not the Republican Party. In fact, in some areas, they're, they're Republicans are shunned. Well, I, I don't think that's the case anymore. Um, I saw some polling uh, a little over a year ago that indicated that, that this generation that's in high school right now uh, is definitely trending more conservative as I was doing the Let's Go Brandon rally, I was getting reports from people saying that all the kids in high school uh, were, were talking about it. They had uh, they had wanted to stop by because the Essex CBU uh, championship football game was in Rutland, so they had to drive through. They were trying to figure out a way they could stop in. Um, and I think part of that is because, um, you know, younger people have grown up their entire lives getting more and more choice, right? When I was a young kid, there were three TV channels. When I was a teenager, we had about 100. Now my kids watch have thousands of channels oh, on no YouTube. Kidding. Yeah. And Republicans want to create more choice, create more opportunity. And Democrats have a one-size-fits-all approach, and I think younger people realize there's opportunity for them in the Republican Party. Well, good luck to you, Paul. You've got your work cut out for you, Paul Dame, my guest today on Travels with Charlie. Happy Thanksgiving, Paul. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you, too, Charlie. All right. Thanks to Brett Ann Stanchu, Christina Nolan, uh, Jeff Weld, and Paul Dame. Of course, uh, WDEVradio.com for podcasts and videos of Travels with Charlie. Happy Thanksgiving. Back with you on December 6th with our latest program, Travels with Charlie, sponsored by Casella Waste Systems, Jolly Convenience Stores in Milne, Travel, American Express. Theme song written and performed by Billy Bratcher. My executive producer is Brad Ferlin. I'm Charlie Papillo. And I'll see you in my travels back on December 6th. Have a great weekend.